Hey everybody, welcome back to the Skip It podcast. You've joined us here today for episode 21, which is also the number of the episode that we're going to be talking about of Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, the episode named Trapped. My name is Lee and joining me today is Ashwin. Hey. And also John. Hello. All right, let's get straight into it. So this episode aired on April 1st in 1968 and it stars all the Hammonds plus our recurring villain, or now he's a recurring villain, this is the third time he's appeared, Dr. Stark, played by Frank Thring. We also have Colin Croft playing his 2IC, who we're just going to call Professor Lewis. It's not actually his real character's name, but since we don't ever actually learn it, we'll just call him that for this show. Mm. And we also have Tony Thurban playing Quentin, but he's referred to as Scar in this episode. So we'll also Mm. be calling him by his character name as per the show. This one was directed by regular show director Max Varnell and written by Peter Kay and regular show writer and chauvinist Ross Napier. So, <laughs> uh, the episode begins at, I'm going to call it Stark Mansion. And Stark and Lewis. Or, or Estate. Has, Stark Estate. Stark Estate, yes. <laughs> and uh, he's there with Lewis, who's at that point unidentified, but they're sitting by the pool. And Stark, as always, has an animal on his shoulder This time it's a large lizard, and they're having a conversation where Stark says that Hammond is expecting you, in inverted commas, this morning, or should he say Sir Adrian Lewis, the eminent zoologist from Western Australia. So he's planning another swap out. Mm. Last week his scheme involved trying to swap out Matt himself with a double, and now this guy. So all his plans involve swapping people out. So John, is he doing like a half-assed lazy job of being a mastermind with his planning? Like, is this just, oh, I'm just going to swap everyone out. That's my thing. It feels like, yeah, very much rehashed. I, <laughs> I I couldn't believe that he was doing it all over again right after last episode's massive failure. He he seems to overcomplicate. I think he's an overthinker, Stark. He, he probably just needs to do, as I said in the previous episode, he needs to do the old-fashioned fund a politician, get them into power, <laughs> all of that, and then he can put his own people into power. Or, like, you know, just maybe buy uh, like a big chunk of land that he can have his own park on or something. But yeah, it, it does seem overcomplicated. I wouldn't be surprised if he went to the ranch, built a new ranch and tried to swap the ranches out just to try to, <laughs> everything's going to be swapped. I know, no, he's got to have someone playing somebody else. It's got to be convoluted. So the other thing I just want to note is while all this fraud is happening, it's happening right in front of his butler who's come over to give them some refreshments. And since his butler reacts like this conversation is commonplace, it indicates that he's also evil. So I'm interested, Ashwin, where do you think one hires a butler who is okay with <laughs> criminal acts? And what's like the interview process? for making sure that someone's okay with this. I'm assuming Gumtree. There must have been a 60s Gumtree where all the the deadbeats hung out or maybe some like dark web, their equivalent of the dark web where you can hire these kind of stuff. Or like some kind of um, henchman recruiting service. Yeah, yeah, like freak.com or something. There's got to be some website for this. Yeah, it's weird. So, um, And also this uh, introduction to Stark just... Was weird because he was just a cute, like fluffy animal on him. And when I looked at him today in this part, in this part of the episode, I was like, "Is that a sea slug? It just looked disgusting." <laughs> whatever I, was on him, I think it was a bearded dragon. Bearded so dragon, a- yeah. And also the villain character of Stark. I would like to look up this Frank Thring or whatever his name was. So if that is his real accent, because it's so unlikably pompous. I got a feeling that he probably talks similar to that, but he, I, I definitely think he's putting it on. Yeah. Well, Stark 
in this case, he reveals the piece de resistance, which is a camera that when you press the button that takes the picture, it releases gas, which he says is mace. And this is the thing. So he then decides to test it on his pet lizard, but this isn't enough to demonstrate what it can do. So he turns and sprays it into his butler's face. <laughs> so the two things here, first, this is what you get when you work for an evil employer. And second, this mace acts as some kind of neural toxin that freezes the butler, who then topples back, stiff as a board, into the pool. And we then see him floating there like an ice cube. So, John, what did you make out of this interpretation of mace? Yeah, it was funny because he said they've called it mace, and I'm assuming this is before the time of the chemical okay. mace yeah, pocket mace. And then the butler, I thought, like, is he going to drown? Are they just going to leave him there to sink? Because it seemed like he's, his head was above the water a little bit and then it started to sink a little bit. And his eyes were open as well. So, And we later learn a bit more about the effects of this magical gas yes. that just paralyzes your body. Because like, has he got another butler that's just there to get the butlers that he's gassed into the pool? He's out of the pool. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't think him or the professor was going to go get him. No, it didn't look like it. Well, after the scene, we cut to Skippy and she's by herself and she's looking for something. And in the background, there's a kookaburra that's laughing constantly. And Sonny and Mark, they're up on the balcony behind the ranch and they're encouraging Skippy to keep looking. It isn't clear yet what for. Mm. Matt and Jerry then come in from the chopper and they wonder what Mark and Sonny are playing at. And as they approach, they overhear them saying, she falls for it every time. And Mark then reaches up to the roof of the house where he takes down a tape recorder, which when he switches it off, cuts the sound of the laughing kookaburra. And he says, she hates being teased. You know that. So Ashwin, were you surprised that they'd be pranking Skippy, like someone who's so close to them? Yeah, this is the first time I've ever seen Sonny be mean to Skippy in any way. So I thought that was an unusual variation of character development. I'm sure they've got a chart of what to do, what Sonny can and can't do in terms of plot. So I was wondering if, if there was a new writer that came in and was just a little bit more devious and thought, let's let's make Sonny a bit of an asshole this episode. Yeah. So Matt then says, it's too bad animals can't tease us back. And Jerry goes inside. He walks past Matt's room and sees his table is sliding by itself across the room like poltergeists have been uh, invading the house. Matt comes in and they see an echidna is responsible and the echidna is pushing the table. And Jerry says, what was that about animals not teasing humans? And then educates us all by saying that he knew anteaters were strong, but he didn't think they could move furniture. And Matt mm. says for their size, they're probably one of the strongest animals on earth. Now, I couldn't find anything saying that that was fact, but here's a little bit of an interesting tidbit about echidnas. So the name echidna might explain why they've been portrayed as so dangerous in this episode, because echidna is a creature from Greek mythology mm. who's renowned as the mother of monsters, believed mm. to be a half woman, half snake. So the reason that this you know spiky creature was named after that was because they were perceived by scientists early on to have both reptilian and mammalian features. Ah, oh, so yeah, like a shimmer or something. Uh, yeah. I think she might be the mother of the Gorgons or something. Anyway, um, I would have liked <laughs> for um, Jerry to explain all this Greek mythology. That would have been really out of character as well. <laughs> <laughs> and now this is the thing I wanted to uh, address was they never refer to it as an echidna. And I was wondering whether this was maybe a commercial thing or an international thing just so people don't go, mm. what's an echidna? But yeah. I feel like having 
people asking what's an echidna is a good thing because then they go to find out what it is. But I thought it was funny that they never actually said echidna in the episode. No, they mm. only say anteater, which is mm. this colloquial slang name. Yeah. And there is some kind of urban myth where echidnas have moved around furniture and stuff in the past. Maybe when they have the right leverage, they can just move fridges, you know? Yeah. yeah. That would be wow. the cutest removalist service. Oh, oh, that would be adorable. And it's just like four echidnas on each corner yeah. and they just trundle up and it's just like hovers. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, this is the only sort of furniture moving we see in this episode. Mm. So Clancy then comes in and she reveals Reggie, which is the name of this echidna slash anteater. He got in there because he escaped from Dr. Steiner. So the writers are keeping her alive in the show, even though we'll never see her again, which I thought was interesting. Mm. This is where the track should be, Matt then says later on, pointing out some papers on his desk. And Jerry takes the map and tells Sonny and Mark to hurry because there's lots of tracks to cover. They ask Matt if he's coming, but he says he's not because he's expecting a visitor. So they ask Skip to come instead, but she hops off, still annoyed at being teased. So, Minister Johnny, did you know at this point that this was going to be the typical uh, you know, mission we have to set up to get some of the characters out the way, but that has no other real purpose? Like, I feel we can start to spot them now when they're introduced to say, this is going nowhere. No, definitely. It it's, seemed like there was a, a leading thing there because, you know, they obviously need to have people interacting in the same area. What happens here is like Clancy, who's now just left with Matt, they're having a chat about Reggie. And they also say that they're quite rare. They're endangered. This is, this is actually true. Echidnas mm. are endangered. Matt then says he should be down at the recorder site, which is where the echidnas come out, but he's got too much to do. So Clancy says she'll do it. Matt says she can and encourages her to take Skippy as she'll help her avoid getting lost. So this is setting up what is going to be this recorder and this tape. Mm -hmm. So as they leave, we now see the imposter Lewis by the side of the road who has had car troubles. Jerry, who we've just seen leave a moment ago, he's going past and he stops to see how he can help. But apparently it's just engine trouble and it'll be fine soon. Thus, Jerry drives off. We then see a man come out of the bushes and asks, is that him? Meaning Matt. And the so-called Lewis then says no and shows a picture of Matt, which is like a black and white glamour shot. <laughs> it's, like it like, it's a publicity oh, shot, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. This is like straight from Matt's manager. This, yeah. this particular or, or just a skippy uh, promotional photo of him. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely not just uh, someone who's just been spying and grabbed this. I wonder if Devereaux wrote this episode and just chose the most handsome picture of himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, you know, he, if he wrote this episode, he would either be in bed the whole time or just not featured. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or um, you'd have four of him. <laughs> yeah, that's for those who are just jumping in on this episode, uh, that's a callback to some of the other episodes we've done. Yeah. Check out our previous ones to find out some of those shenanigans. So back at the house now, Lewis has arrived and he shows Matt his official paperwork, pro proving who he is. Matt doesn't even look at them. He just says he'll give this map of the valley so that he can find the anteaters. And Lewis says, most kind, evilly, and we <laughs> zoom in. On the camera in his hand, and which is the one we saw from earlier, the, the mace one. So, Ashwin, I'm wondering, is this why Matt keeps getting in trouble and why Stark keeps thinking he can pull the wool over his eyes? Because he's not thorough with his checks. He just was handed this proof and he didn't even look at them. Yeah, he's not thorough. He's... um. He's more of a nature man, I think. And also, this guy said, most kind, most kind, most kind. If you say anything three times to me, I am immediately sus on you. And Matt didn't think anything of it. I was like, Matt, where's your head at? I thought it was funny how the um, professor didn't even get asked for it. He had to give it to Matt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Matt didn't give a shit. Like, he was just like, oh, okay. He couldn't even get him out, like, 
to where the echidnas were fast no. enough. Yeah. No, it's like, please, I've spent a lot of work. Yeah, 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 it's like at least have a, yeah we've, we've spent a lot of time forging these. At least have a look at them. <laughs> yeah. So we now go back on the trail and Clancy and Skippy arrive at the same time as Lewis and his partner and she starts changing something in the recorder. So it, just to describe it, this recorder, it looks like a white wooden mailbox and then she stares at these two suspiciously, wondering what they're doing and she calls for Skippy who is left to spy on these two mysterious people and we establish that they're following an anteater who we see is on its way to an ant's nest with some pretty huge ants. It was very hard to tell what that recorder was. We'll yeah, through, I... I, we'll... I, I... I wasn't sure if it was a, I'm assuming a sound recorder, but then it's like, mm. what's the point of that yeah. at all? Um, I guess yep. maybe for bird sounds. And and yeah. I like how it was just like an old school, like uh, cassette tape too. Yes. Well, we and at this point though, we don't see that. We just really see she's changing something, but we didn't mm. see the cassette yet, but we will in a second. So what happens now is Clancy follows the men who have now got their camera out and she sees Lewis spray it at one of the echidnas, transforming it immediately into a stuffed dead one. I don't think that's, that's the reality. In actuality, as Lewis points out when his colleague says it looks dead, is that it's just paralyzed. He flips it over to examine its private parts and says it's a male and Stark wanted a female carrying eggs so that he can breed them. And the doctor plans to raise a colony for export. Lewis is saying this when he sees Clancy has overheard him. So he approaches her and he says who he is and that his colleague, Scar, and he were just taking pictures. But she, because she's seen all this, says, no, I saw that the camera is actually a gun, to which Lewis says, how unfortunate. I'll have to take your picture too. And then sprays her with it. <laughs> Did anyone notice that they inserted a female scream over the shot yeah. when this happened? Because all we see is Clancy <laughs> yeah. sees up and fall back, but her mouth was firmly closed. Firmly closed, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like that baby Maybe. from the other episode. Yeah. I'd like to think that was Dr. Steiner, and that's just her one supporting part, but she never did yeah. anything about it. And it was funny because the only way you would have been able to tell if she was passed out on the tape was that scream, but she actually doesn't scream, so yeah. No. I think that was a post-production thing where they realised, yeah. oh gosh, we have to put that in. We so, have to have um, something, yeah. Yeah, so we also see that this echidna recorder has taped this. So, John, I guess you've sort of already explained this, but the, yeah. the kind of recorder that at this point, it wasn't clear what it was. They sort of zoomed in on this mailbox slash yeah. recorder. We didn't really know what it recorded. This It was insinuated that something had been captured. Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, as I said, yeah, I was sort of uh, like you, not sure what it was. And I'm guessing it was for maybe it's for Dr. Steiner's stuff. But yeah, I, I, I'm not sure why they would have that there. No. Well, the next act then opens with Clancy on the ground and Lewis and Scar are standing over her wondering what to do. They say they should move her, otherwise the ants will eat her alive. Scar asks if they should tie her up, but this isn't necessary as she can see and hear but can't move. And so she won't be able to for some hours. So this explains some of the things that we've seen happening to people who have been sprayed by this. When the guy said to him, oh, we can't leave her on the ants nest. And uh, the professor says delectable dish <laughs> yes i didn't Did you I remember didn't that? that that comment yeah <laughs> sorry i just felt like we needed to cover that 
Scar then puts her over his shoulder and takes her away, and he ends up dumping her in the middle of the bush and running off. So I don't know how much safer that is for her, but anyway, that's what they did. And Skippy, meanwhile, is watching as Lewis and Scar freeze another echidna. This time, it's a female whose pouch is bulging. So they're about to go, but Lewis says they need to find another as echidnas are fragile. Won't someone come looking for the girl? Asks Scar. Why push their luck? To which Lewis says, luck... It's for dreamers, and I make my own luck. So <laughs> very pompous. Like Stark is clearly just hiring yeah. the most pompous people he can. And that wasn't the time for a meme quote. That was, that yeah. was time for proper planning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've just knocked out a, a, a witness that's going to like dob on you later too. So yeah, yeah. It, it complicates things to a whole thing. And I, I don't think echidnas keep their eggs in their pouches. That'll be a job for our listeners to research because I don't think any of us know that. But uh, look that up if you're interested. Please do so, find that out. And let us know on the Facebook page if you want to mm. comment. So we then see Skippy has come over to the prone Clancy who is using her eyes to signal to Skippy that the recording box has evidence. Somehow, using blinks, she communicates to Skippy to push the button on the box to rewind the tape, then play the tape, and then listen. Yes. As the recording plays back evidence of the conversation right up to the point that Clancy screams, Skippy then ejects the tape, puts it in her pouch, and hops off. So I'm interested to know, Ashwin, I'll start with you. Skippy, is she this clever, but she can't work out when a tape is being played of a kookaburra laughing? Like, is Skippy (laughs) smarter than she's letting on, or is this just picking and choosing? No, this is a problem. Maybe she's not good with kookaburra sounds, but she's clearly done some kind of video editing course, audio editing, and she was just doing some basic edits. Maybe over Skip uh, Sunny's radio school, she's picked up a little bit of audio editing. That was yeah. a weird moment. I thought that was pushing the limits of credulity, that moment. But, you know, the show needed it. We needed that. So, yeah. But, but also that she was able to understand that because of the yeah. looks and blinks that Clancy was giving her. Yeah, she was yeah. like, was she doing like Morse code or something? <laughs> yeah, it was really, really interesting that the need for Skippy to play it back, you yeah. know, and we know that that's like for the audience, but it's still one of those things where it's like, well, that's like really like an extra step you didn't have to do, Skippy. And then we saw some classic hand action as well, like the the, the poor action of her grabbing the tape and then putting it in the pouch. And it was yeah. good to see Skippy putting something into her own pouch for once because we always see these gross man's hands like going in there and digging around so (laughs) it was good to see Skippy taking control of the pouch and like we've seen this before Skippy can use the radio and so you know we do know she's got some high-tech skills and this was what I sort of liked about this episode a lot was that we got to see all of it in this one bit, you know. Yeah, it was great. Well, Clancy at this point is quite relieved that the evidence is being taken back to the ranch. So Lewis and Scar approach their car, talking about the two perfect specimens they've captured. Three, says Lewis, if you include Clancy. <laughs> oh, God. Then they decide to leave her there as she'll revive oh, soon. So. Skippy, we see, hasn't left yet. She's waited by Scar's ute. And when they get in, Lewis says to drop him back to his car and he'll rejoin him later. Why not go now? Well, he's going back to the ranch to say bye to Matt because this is common courtesy, he tells Scar. (laughs) So just even a gentleman in his devious acts. We then get an insert shot of Skippy again, making sure that the tape is still in her pouch. So another insert shot of the paws going in the pouch before she finally hops off home. So as you said, John, probably dead hands in a stuffed Mm. kangaroo pouch again, but at least it was her own. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. 
guys, because I was having this question at this moment in the series, when he's on the show, when he says, I'm going to go back and say goodbye. Do you think like the butler, he was planning to shoot Matt with the gun? Because that's such a high stakes attack for very little gain. Uh, if he's just going to be paralyzed, what did you think he was trying to do with Matt at this point? I mean, I thought it was just, as he said, I thought he was just this this proper debonair, kind of like, I don't know if you've seen the original Pink Panther, and, mm. you know, the villain, David Niven, he is a very debonair jewel thief, and he's very suave, and almost mm. like a James Bond character, except that he's the bad guy, and that was how I thought this guy was being portrayed, that he actually was going to just do the proper thing. Uh, I yeah. felt like he was getting cocky. And cause, just because, you know, how the um, other guy, Scar, was like, you know, going, why do you have to go back and blah, blah, blah. And, like, I think he was trying to, you know, finish off the, the ruse, but I felt like he got extremely cocky with uh, mm. going back there because they could have just gone and Matt would have probably been none the wiser. Yeah, but for plotting reasons, he needed to go back. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So- so the next scene, we see Jerry, Sonny, and Matt relieved to get to their own car after the hard job they've been given, which is the last we'll ever hear of this, by the way. And Mark is again shirtless. So, Ashwin, why is Mark always shirtless in this show? Yeah, I think they're grooming Mark to be an adult. Like, Sonny's the kid. Mark's going to take a more adult character role. It's possibly a romance. Because we have seen Jerry shirtless a few times as well. So, you know, he could be yeah. like replacement Jerry. Also, yeah. Mark had a punch up with an adult criminal about two episodes yeah. ago. So, it's, taking his shirt I, off is, is the least of his adult moves. I think that was his first episode. He, they they went the biff. So, yeah, he is definitely mature in other aspects. So, well, they all drive home, and on the way, they see Scar, who was stopped by the side of the road again. But he ducks down to avoid being seen. And then back at the ranch, Matt is giving Lewis a cup of coffee. And he asks if he saw a girl down where he was. And Lewis plays dumb about this whole thing. Skippy then gets home, right as Mark, Sonny, and Jerry also get home. And she immediately starts talking to them, like, frantically, and gives them the tape. And she tells Sonny she wants them to play it. She wants something, that's for sure, says Jerry. So when they get to the front door, Mark then says, looks like she does want us to play it. So, John, what is going on here? Can only Sonny understand Skippy? And if so, how did Clancy communicate with Skippy earlier using those eye movements? Just her eyes, yeah. You know, we've... uh essentially got to treat her like a human being that can't talk um, and can only hop around. But why Sun? So Sunny could understand it, but Mark and Jerry couldn't. Yeah, I know. That's the thing that uh, I don't know. Like I found that whole sequence a little bit confusing as well. And I know that they had to just get her to play the tape. And Sunny is like, so inconsistent with his understanding of Skippy because he's, he'll be like, what is it? Skip? What, what, what? But then sometimes it'll be like, specifically know exactly what Skippy's doing. Also, I think the frustrating thing about tapes, I remember from my time in the 80s, is if you put them the wrong way around, it plays a completely different track. (laughs) And she was like, oh, Skippy, you made us a mixtape or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it could have just been bird sounds on the other side. At the door, they find a tape recorder and Jerry goes to play it because Skippy says so and, quote, never argue with a woman. So Ross Napier (laughs) strikes again. He just can't help himself. Well, and it's also good, though, that it feels like they are treating Skippy as, like, the woman of the family now, to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, they're still standing at the door when they hear Matt and Lewis talking and Mark displaying his usual flair for the idiotic notes. That's not on the tape. So, Ashwin, do you think with Mark's constant shirt removal and brainless <laughs> remarks, he's meant to be this show's dumb jock character, but also with a sensitive side because of his beautiful painting from a few episodes back? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, every character, every show needs a Homer Simpson type character. And so maybe he's our Homer. He's the lovable idiot. Yeah, he, he could be just the one that has to like get everything explained to him so it's for the audience type thing so just unfortunately makes him seem like an idiot yes yes, yes. yeah so we're now at the front of the ranch and matt is escorting lewis to his car when jerry rushes around and says that he needs to talk to him matt follows him around the back and listens as the tape is played and after they get to the scream in the tape we cut back to the front where lewis is just like taken off <laughs> and so the hammonds at this point they spring into action they rush to their own car jerry and mark are sent to the truck to find clancy and matt is going not to find lewis but, quote, to take care of Lewis. So this means kill. Like, we've seen that before. This means kill them. Sonny asked, <laughs> like, I'm going to take care of Lewis. So <laughs> I just thought that was interesting because Matt is not messing around. Not messing no. around. And this must be so hard for English as a second language speaker. That's, they're like, oh, he's going to go look after him. What? What <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, that's nice not... of him. <laughs> yeah. So Sonny asks what he should do and he's told to wait by the radio. So Matt at this point is trying to keep him out of danger, which is a good idea this time. We then see Lewis has ditched his car and he jumps into the ute with Scar and says they need to get moving. What about the car? Asks Scar. Forget it, says a really paranoid looking Lewis who is constantly looking out the back window as they peel off. Matt continues to give chase and finally catches up. Lewis says he thinks I've got another car and then ducks down and tells Scar not to do anything that will attract attention. And this actually works because Matt overtakes to seek out the car that he knows. And meanwhile, Skippy is chatting away to Mac from the back because Skippy's in the back seat. Mm. What's the matter? He asks Skippy, but we don't know if he can understand him. And these rules again have not been clarified. So <laughs> it's anyone's guess at this point. He's trying yeah. to get Matt to sort of because Skippy can see the professors in the car. Yeah, Skippy knows. Yeah, Skippy yeah. really should have handed Matt, uh, Matt like three strangely arranged sticks. Sticks, yes. Ribbon around them it would have solved everything. Exactly. Well, Lewis. Now they've been setting up his character as arrogant, but he now displays his most arrogance yet. He says, "At the fork up ahead." Matt will turn right, he predicts, which is the shortest way out of the park. They then will turn left, so he's smug as he can be. And he turns left, but they find that Matt has, after all, understood Skippy because he's blocked the road with his car. And they swerve to a stop, and Lewis and Scar dive out opposite sides of the car, but not before Matt is there to catch Scar literally at the door and immediately punches him in the face. <laughs> so I'd not be surprised, because this happens sort of behind the car where we can't see, if he then head-stumped him where we couldn't see him taking <laughs> care of him yeah. <laughs> it was just so fast and yeah brutal. i wonder if we'll see him again <laughs> yeah not not alive <laughs> matt then starts for the other side of the car to get lewis and that's when we see that lewis is cockily standing there with his camera out i'd not expected to meet so soon he says but since we have it's only fitting i take your photo for the collection and skippy as matt's faithful attack dog is approaching from nowhere while this is going on and then just like bang leaps Hops. at lewis's face knocks him to the ground and lewis shouts out in pain and fear and he hits the ground skippy then actually proves that all kangaroos are innate boxes because she uses really proper technique here having stuck 
you now moved, hopping out the way. Now, John, when we were in high school, you told us that you could beat a kangaroo in a fight. Now, after seeing how many grown men Skippy has taken out, your dandies like Lewis and hardened criminals alike, do you still think you could win a fight against a kangaroo? Look, I, I would not fight Skippy. That is just like, hands down, frigging no way. I definitely couldn't beat a red one. We have seen the evidence on YouTube many times that man can beat grey kangaroo um, in a fist fight, <laughs> especially if that kangaroo's got the man's dog. That's been proven. So, but I would definitely just stay away from Skippy. Yeah, she's she's like, she's a hard ass. Like, she will hop on your face, probably, you know, psychically attack you too. Yeah, yeah. she's a super mm. Yeah. And as Ross Napier says, you never pick on a woman or something. <laughs> well, and you and- never pick a fight with a woman. Yeah. No. Well, at this point with Lewis on the ground, Matt then rushes and seizes the camera from the road before Lewis can get up. And it was really fast. Like, he really snatched it up and turned it on Lewis like a gunslinger. And like Dirty Harry, Dirty Matt, he says, would you like to have your photograph taken too, Professor? Then followed with this crescendo of brass that underscores what the audience is really feeling mm. in this moment, which is like, yeah, take him out, Matt. Like, he really <laughs> just gave this awesome one-liner. Yeah. I was frustrated in this moment because, you know, like if you've got a gun, like Dirty Harry style, if you don't want to shoot someone, you can still pistol whip them in the face. Like you can't do anything with this mace. You can't like mace them in the balls or something. So that's not a kill shot. Like, it's either him or nothing. I uh, was surprised he didn't gas him though, but I guess that would have been really inconvenient. Yeah, yeah we would yeah. carry him back then. Yeah. We now jump to the final scene where the Hammonds are standing around Clancy and she's recovering in a fold-out lawn recliner by Steiner's caravan. And according to Matt, she has to relax until Dr. Steiner is back to check her out. But anyway, we can be confident that she'll be okay. Um, They reference the fact that Lewis wasn't a real professor and Matt then asks where the anteaters are. And this is when Sonny says, this is getting ready for our comedic beat at the end, that he thought they should be kept an eye on and has left them in Matt's office. And that's when Matt and the others freak out and they rush off to see what mayhem these ferocious creatures are causing. And that's when Sonny gives a, what have I done now? <laughs> Clancy finishes the episode with, well, this is where I came in and then puts the sleep mask over her eyes so that she can rest. And that's when we fade out with their nice little comedic S- moment. Yeah. Mm. And Skippy tech teching away. Yeah. I actually liked this episode. I thought it was so corny and it was fairly camp. And for me, it was just fun. Mm. And for all the reasons we talked about, um, I'm going to give it four gum leaves. What about you, mm. Ashwin? Interesting. I Well, first of all, I was appreciative that the showrunners use stuffed echidnas rather than killing actual echidnas <laughs> like they would normally do based on their ethics committee in the past. Um, so I thought, yeah, it was, it was an unusual show. I enjoyed more of this recap than the show itself. When I got to the end of it, I was like, eh, that was a yeah. bit meh. I don't know why. So I was a bit vanilla. And I've got to stick to my initial impression of it. I think in terms of entertainment, for some reason, I'm, I'm at a three gum leaves for this one. Oh, wow. Quite low. Okay. Yeah. See, I think it was a good episode because I like any of the episodes with uh, Dr. Stark. I, I think they're always sort of going to give you something special and a bit different. And it was funny how you were talking about the echidna and it was the same stuffed echidna every time as well. And I'm pretty sure that's the same stuffed echidna from that episode where the outbreak episode or whatever, where there's like a disease in the park. Uh, they, You know, recycling props, that's good. And so I think... I'm going to go three and a half because mm. I thought it was a really good episode. Um, I don't think it was as good as 
the last one just with the double action. I always like his silly convoluted plans. And that uh, prof- guy playing the professor was sort of a pretty good villain as well. Uh, so, yeah, overall I liked it. Yeah, cool. And what then can we look forward to next oh, week, John? So we've got up to 22. They're singing me back. And this is going to be an interesting episode. Sunny comes across an Aboriginal woman, Noona, who has run away from her tribe and says they're singing her back. As her tribe searches for her, she becomes more and more agitated. Noona is a very talented singer who wants to become a professional singer. Matt tries to help her by giving her clothes and accommodation, but her life and sleep are still disturbed. Yeah, so basically... There's an Aboriginal episode, one of the first ones in this this is classic Australian series. Yeah, be interesting, um, how the attitudes uh, and how the Aboriginal stories are presented because this is 50 years ago almost. So, yeah. 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 Well, if it's written by Ross Napier, I think it went for a very interesting, <laughs> yeah. interesting episode. Yeah, yeah. So. but, uh, uh, yeah, as a, I, I, yeah, I was sort of looking for this one because I knew there was an episode with some Aboriginals in it this season, so we'll be very interested to see what, what it's like. All right, great. Well, join us next week for that episode. In the meantime, thanks for listening. I'm Lee, and with me has been John. Thank you. And Ashwin. Thanks, guys. See everyone. Scoop, 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 scoop